This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Do you find it challenging working on your collector car? Advantage Car Lifts has the solution for you with their selection of two and four post lifts. Advantage two post lifts provide an unparalleled amount of versatility. Each wheel can spin freely and be worked on individually, and you'll have full access to those hard-to-reach parts of your car's undercarriage. These lifts have locking lift arms that protect you and your special ride, and their powder-coated finish protects critical components from corrosion, which extends the life and stability of the lift. And best of all, Advantage's two-post lifts are ready to ship now. You can find the perfect Advantage lift at www.advantagelifts.com. For $100 off, enter code TCCP. That's TCCP for the Collector Car Podcast. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Okay, welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. Hey, it's your host, Greg Stanley, as always, every week. And today, I'm happy to bring you 19 depreciation-proof cars. Now, this is quite the task to undertake because there's a lot of craziness going on in the marketplace right now. But before we get to that, I would like to talk about a couple other updates first. First off, if you haven't been to my YouTube channel, please check it out. So I've been working very hard on YouTube. I've been trying to get it up and running. I'm posting videos daily, and this is content that is not on the podcast. Uh, So if you go there, you'll find a few things. First off, you'll find some longer videos. So these videos typically would be uh, interviewing a collector. It might be uh, walking around a concourse show field, or it could be going to the local cruise in. And for those videos, I am trying to add little text bubbles, little blurbs of fun car facts that would keep you interested and engaged versus just me walking around and talking. Tune in for that. And then also I'm doing these little sub one minute videos, a couple different versions. One of them is Keep Cash or Collect. So I'm taking the Keep Cash or Crush uh, formula, but changing it to Keep Cash or Collect. So should you keep the car forever? Should you cash it in? Or if you don't have it, should you buy it now before it goes through the roof? So those are fun little one minute videos. And then soon I will have valuation updates on particular car models. So You'll see the car I'm talking about in the background. There won't be a voiceover. Uh, It'll just be some fun facts that pop up on the screen from a valuation standpoint. Now this will be powered by Haggerty's valuation tools. So it will have the one year percent change, three year percent change, five year percent change, and probably uh, the percent change for the history of the entire car as long as it's been in the Haggerty database or from new. Uh, Beyond that, I am doing virtual car shows. So this is where if I go to a car show, I'll walk around it real quick, talk about a few of the cars, show, you know, post some of the fun facts about those cars. So you can kind of experience uh, one of these shows you might not be able to meet to attend in person. That's my goal. So please check it out. There's a lot of fun stuff that's happening on the YouTube channel. Next, as I mentioned in one of the earlier podcast episodes, I will be giving away a Porsche for the weekend through Porsche Drive. Now, this will be a subscription out of 15 cities across the U.S. in which that you can apply, you can enter to win a Porsche of your choice for the weekend. I highly recommend you do it. 
I had the pleasure of having a Porsche Panamera 4S uh, for the weekend. You'll see that video coming up soon, and it was a blast to drive and just a wonderful car. Really enjoyed that. Uh, and I also would like to welcome our new sponsor, Advantage Car Lifts. So you just heard the commercial. Uh, they're great partners. They have great two and four post lifts available for purchase. Uh, I know a lot of you are either all in on the car lifts or you stay away from the car lifts. So what I would do is take a listen, check out their website and learn more. They're super nice folks. Now getting to these depreciation proof cars. Now what does it mean and how did I come up with these, this list of 19-ish cars? Uh, first off, all the values that are mentioned for these cars are for condition number three. So the average value that I mentioned or the average price I mentioned is for value number three cars uh, in number three condition per Haggerty's guidelines. Now the percent change, I base that on cars in number one condition, mostly because you can see the sways up or down a little bit more pronounced in number one condition. As you go to number two, three, four, and five condition, uh, they're generally in the same direction, just to a lesser degree. So I chose the one number one condition because it uh, really shows you the movement of these cars. Now, how did I pick these cars and what does depreciation proof mean? Well, basically, I mean this as that if you buy one of these cars today at a fair price, I mean, don't, don't pay top dollar right now and, and it probably will go down. Uh, if you buy it at a fair price, I do not see them depreciating any in any meaningful way over, over a very long time. So they might go down for a little bit. We are at a market peak. I don't know if it's peaked yet. I feel like it has when you start looking at some of the data, but uh, it might go back up a little bit. I think it has peaked, especially as uh, interest rates started to go up. Gas prices have gone up dramatically. So, you know, we've been on a tear for a while. So when I go over the numbers, pretty much all these cars had peak, peaked over the last one to two years. I'm sorry, not peaked, have grown significantly, appreciated significantly over the last one or two years. And these are cars that I feel like, you know, they've been reset to a new level. I don't think they'll fall down as quickly as they went up. By the same token, they might decline just a little bit, but I think they mostly have been reset to a, a new market le level. I'm sure as the overall market goes down soon, these will depreciate slightly but not nearly at the rate of the majority of the other cars. Now, these are cars I believe have a long-term collectability, mostly fueled by the generational shift that is occurring right now. I've mentioned it on the podcast. I don't need to go into it in depth here. Now, some of these cars are current collectibles that I believe have not been on everyone's radar, mostly the enthusiasts, but are getting more attention recently. And a great example of this would be the Spikers. Those are great supercars they've been around for a long time they just have not gotten the attention they deserve but i feel like they're starting to get that attention now so they have been valuable in the past uh, I, they've been pretty flat for you know since new but i think they're starting to gain some momentum in the marketplace now some of these other cars i think are just now being considered a collectible uh, one example would be the cadillac ctsvs i'll go into those here shortly Basically, up until recently, those were just a used car. I think they turned the corner, especially on the wagons. The wagons are probably leading the charge on becoming a collectible. Now, be sure to stay to the end as I will have a few honorable mentions that did not make my list. So this is a hard list to come up with. Uh, some of these you might question, why did I pick that car? I'll go into a couple reasons why along with the data trends. All right, so the first car is a 2008 to 2009 Honda S2000 CR. 
Now some of this, most of these descriptions are from Haggerty.com. The Honda S2000 Club Racer addressed critics who thought the car was too hardcore by doubling down on its bet. The CR debuted at the New York Auto Show and, as its name implies, was aimed at track use. Now, I know quite a few of these never made it to the track. <laughs> Weight was down by 90 pounds while the power top was replaced by an aluminum hardtop. Air conditioning and stereo became optional rather than standard. The front was more aggressive and a large spoiler attached to the trunk, cutting the, re the Roadster's aerodynamic lift by 70%. Wow, that's a lot. Honda hoped to build 2000 S2000 CR models, that makes sense, but only sold 668 in 2008 and only 31 in 2009. So if you want the rare of the rare, go after the 2009 version. At final accounting, Honda has sold over 66,000 S2000 units in the U.S. as production officially ended in 2009. So some quick math would say that 1% would be 650 cars which is basically uh, the 2008 model. 1% of those were uh, CR models and 0.05% for 2009. That's really rare. So the one-year change for these is up 1.9%. The three-year change is up 80%. So a lot of appreciation in the last three and five years. Latest five years up 109.9%. So yes, they have gone up a lot. They flattened out recently, but I feel like this is the new baseline for these cars. Average value and number three condition $45,900. All right, for the next one, it's another Japanese car. Now you'll see a lot of these cars are from the 1990s and 2000s, obviously because, as I said before, the generational shift. All right, so the next one is a 2000 to 2005 Toyota MR2 Spider. I'm not a big fan of the way these look. I actually like the Gen 1 more. I think they're pretty cool, but these have been on a tear recently. Uh, the average value is only $11,000, $10,700. So this is an affordable future collectible. The one-year change up 65.6%, three-year change up 110.1%, and five-year change up 128.5%. When you see a one-year trend up that much, it tells me right off the bat it's not going to be negative by the same amount anytime soon. It will slow. And so if you get one today, you get one at number three condition for $11,000, I bet it will appreciate 40% over the next year. Maybe if it is declining, maybe 15% the year after, maybe it's flat for a few years, but it is depreciation proof. All right, the next one is one of the cars I have in my garage, the 1999 to 2004 Porsche 911, the 996 generation. Now this is from Haggerty.com again. Some elements of the, 99, of the 911's essential character had been lost for the sake of refinement, but few could deny that it was objectively a better car in just about every measure. A road and track test of an early car concluded that the new Porsche is a significantly faster and, yes, a better car than, obviously, the water-cooled versions. I'm sorry, not water-cooled, because there wasn't water in there. Uh, Liquid-cooled versions. Perhaps we shouldn't think of the 996 as a better or worse 911, but rather as a different one returned by smart engineers for modern expectations. Amen to that. Porsche also made over 175,996s, so there are plenty to choose from on the market at any given time. Now, the average value is $30,000. Now, get this. One-year change up 48.2%. Three-year change up 61.5%. And five-year change up 68%. All right, next is a car that's on my bucket list. 2008 to 2015 Audi R8. 
Honestly, it's either the V10 or the V8, it doesn't really matter. The Audi R8's construction was based on an alloy space frame and, alum and an aluminum monocoque. It was powered by the 414 horsepower 4.2 liter V8 shared with the RS4 and mounted in a carbon fiber cradle under glass as all exotic units should be displayed. The naturally aspirated V8 powered R Audi R8 could manage 0 to 60 mile per hour in four seconds with the six speed manual gearbox in it was also quiet and sophisticated unless it was being thrashed. Some, some testers said it didn't actually feel fast thanks to lack of wind noise or tire roar. Nonetheless, 0 to 100 miles per hour took only 10.1 seconds. A quarter mile came up in 12.5 seconds at 113.2 miles an hour. And 150 miles per hour followed smoothly on the way to 187 miles per hour top speed. Now that's for the V8. Road testers generally prefer the V8 engine over the optional 5.2 liter Audi R8 V10, which was 130 pounds heavier and cost a whopping $30,000 more than the $110,000 original MSRP of the base car with a six-speed manual gearbox. All right, the average value, now this is for the V10 model and number three condition is $114,000. The one-year trend up 46.2%, the three-year trend up 41.9%, and the five-year trend also up 41.9%. Okay, the next one is actually a group of trucks. And I didn't go deep into these because there's so many to choose from. I didn't want this to be the 100 depreciation proof cars. So from a general perspective, Toyota trucks in general. So this would be probably pre-2005. Uh, the one I ran the numbers on was a 1987 Toyota 4Runner SR5. These are bulletproof. You know, if you buy one with less than 150,000 miles, you're only at the halfway point from a, you know, mileage perspective on those so they have a long life ahead the average value is twelve thousand three hundred dollars so they're affordable the one-year change is up ten percent the three-year change is up eighty point eight percent and the five-year change is up one hundred point nine percent now in this bucket there are also a bunch of other toyotas so let me call them out here and the percent that i'm mentioning is their recent one-year change so the toyota tacoma which i believe in the Haggerty database is classified as the toyota sr5 pickup truck Correct me if I'm wrong in the comments. That's up 80% latest one year. The Land Cruiser FJ60 is up 11%. The FJ62 is up 11%. The FJ80 is up 65%. And what Haggerty calls the pickup truck deluxe is up 65.1%. Maybe that's the Tacoma. These are great vehicles to buy at this time. All right, next is the Spiker. Now, like I said before, beautiful. Uh, this one, ironically, is not in Haggerty's database. I don't quite know why, because they've written a lot of articles on the Spiker. So I picked the, two, the 2005 Spiker C8 Spider. Now the C8 is powered by a mid-mounted Audi V8, so you've got a great bulletproof engine, and the car's unique exterior styling is exceeded only by its over-the-top interior, which, which features quilted leather for floor hinge pedals and the piece de resistance and exposed chrome manual shift linkage. So this is one of the most attractive cars interior-wise ever. Exterior, it's very handsome. I don't know that I would call it gorgeous, but it's very handsome, and uh, I would love to have one in my garage. All right, next is a group of cars I mentioned before. It's the 2009 to 2015 Cadillac CTS-Vs. Now that date range might be slightly different depending on the model. 
For the purposes of this example, I picked a 2015 Cadillac CTS-V two-door coupe, just one of my favorites. I know the wagons have been going through the roof for a long time, and ironically, this is probably the only scenario, at least the only one that I can figure out, that where a four-door wagon is worth more than its two-door coupe counterpart. If you know of another one, let me know. I mean, how often have you heard that? And you'll hear in a second that the wagons are worth a lot more than the two-door coupe, which I think is ironic and interesting. Uh, the two-door coupe is just gorgeous. The styling is unbelievable. So uh, a lot of reasons for this. They've reached the uh, point that they are no longer depreciating. They're starting to appreciate here recently. The wagons have been appreciating for a while because they're pretty rare. Uh, Jay Leno just launched a video last week or the week before about his. So I have to add that one to the Jay Leno's list of cars that he owns. Now, again, this is from Haggerty. The Cadillac CTSV blends the refinement of a luxury car with the potency of one of GM's most powerful engines. There were three ways to enjoy the 2012 Cadillac CTSV a sedan, coupe, or sports wagon. All three feature a pronounced power dome hood, chrome mesh grille, and aerodynamic lower front bodywork. The coupe features a more aggressive lower front clip and unique center mounted exhaust outlets. What's interesting is the base coupe, the exhausts are center mounted and it actually looks like the, the Cadillac logo. It's shaped like the logo. And then when you get the V, it no longer looks like the logo. It's actually two circular exhaust outlets. A sport wagon also has a unique look and the, and the benefit of up to 58 cubic feet of cargo space. A standard 2012 Cadillac CTS-V started around $63,000. The CTS-V is powered by a supercharged 6.2-liter LSA V8 engine, which is based on the LS9 V8 from the Chevrolet Corvette ZR1 mega engine. The LSA makes 556 horsepower and 551 pound-feet of torque routed to the rear wheels through either a six-speed manual or six-speed automatic transmission with paddle shifters. Now, what's interesting is they did detune it because I want to say the Corvette was around over 600 horsepower, 615, 636, something like that. The average value is $36,700. For comparison, the average value of the wagon is $52,200. So that's a strong 15 grand more for the wagon. Now, the one year change for the coupe is 1.9%. For the wagon, it's 7%. The three year change for the coupe is 9.1%. For the wagon, it's 16.6%. And for the five-year change for the coupe, it's up 13.2. And get this, for the wagon, it's up 53.8%. Wow, that is crazy. All right, so get one of those while you can. Uh, let's see, next, the 1978 to 1979 Ford Bronco. Now, I, I do have to say, if you, if you want all this information, just go to my website, thecollectorcarpodcast.com. Go under the blog, and that's where I keep the show notes. And the show notes will have all of this listed out including hyperlinks to the Haggerty evaluation model. So if you want to dig a little bit deeper, just go to the website, click on blog, and you'll see the show notes. All right, so the one I didn't go real in-depth on this, but the one-year change on this Bronco, 5.1%, three-year change up 65.9%, and one-year change up 119.9%. So these have somewhat plateaued. They definitely have slowed. But again, I think it's the new baseline, not a high point. Average value, $35,000. All right, the next one is industry disrupting technology. 
I'm talking about the 2008 to 2011 Tesla Roadster. Now mileage and condition are key on these because you need to make sure you don't have to do any work on them. <laughs> At least for right now. They don't have any reproduction, reproduction parts. Uh, so make sure you get the best one you possibly can. Average value is $88,100. Mainly probably driven by that there's so few that are traded right now. The one-year change is up 16.2%, three-year change up 24.8%, and five-year change up 22.8%. All right, the next one, and I won't go really in depth, this is more what I've been hearing word of mouth uh, around the automotive circles, is a 2016 Land Rover LR4. Now the main reason for this, because if you read the reviews, they, it doesn't get the best reviews in the world, but the main reason is for its frame. So let's see here. Land Rover used box frames in a direct production bloodline until the termination of the original Defender in 2016. So this is the last one that had the original box frame, which is very much desi desired by off-roaders. And their last body-on-frame model was replaced by monocoque with the third generation Discovery in 2017. So if you want the last of what's considered the best, you need to get the 2016 Land Rover LR4 and from what I've heard from some of my uh, Land Rover buddies, it's impossible to find a good one of these right now. So if you have one, do a little bit of research because uh, you might have a little gold mine right there. All right, next, actually the next few, we're gonna dive over into the Asian market with, believe it or not, I'm going to list three Mitsubishis. Some of these I've never mentioned on the podcast before, so I'm excited to bring these up. The first one is the 1991 to 1999 Mitsubishi 3000 GT BR4 Spider. These are absolutely stunning, gorgeous vehicles. These were new when I got out of college and I remember drooling over them. I was a Nabisco sales rep. I was a cracker stacker in grocery stores. And I remember there was an Ingalls in Winder, Georgia and the produce manager, he had one of these, which I thought was kind of interesting because Man, he spent a lot of money for it, and he kept it immaculate. And it was the VR4 Spider, and I just could not believe how clean this car was. I guess at this point, it was probably a couple years old, but it was just immaculate and absolutely loved it. So, again, from Haggerty, the, the Mitsubishi 3000 GT replaced the Mitsubishi Starion as the company's top-tier performance model and the company's flagship for the entire decade. So that was the Starion, which I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Now for the 3000 GT, base cars got a front-wheel drive setup with a normally aspirated 3-liter double overhead cam V6. The VR4 had twin turbochargers and intercoolers to produce 300 horsepower and 307 pound-feet of torque. The VR4 also featured full-time four-wheel drive and four-wheel steering. Now from 1994 to 1999, this horsepower rating was raised to 320 horsepower and 315 pound-feet of torque. Unfortunately, the 3000 GT suffered from poor timing in its introduction, just like its rivals. A slowdown in the Japanese economy affected sales and unfavorable exchange rates resulted in higher prices in the all-important North American market. From a collectability standpoint, the limited production VR4 Spider is the most desirable. Less than 900, less than 900 were imported to the US. A cheaper alternative would be the 1991-1996 Dodge Stealth, doesn't look quite as good, but it's still pretty slick. A mechanically identical model and one of the many neat cars that come out of the collaboration between Mitsubishi and Chrysler. Unlike the other Diamond Star motor cars, the Stealth was built in Japan. 
It is nearly identical in every respect, including performance, but commands a slightly lower price. So if you don't, you know, can't afford the 3000 GT, go over the Dodge Stealth RT Turbo. So here are the numbers. Let's see, the average value for the 3000 GT is $21,800. For the Stealth is $13,800. That's a massive difference. One year change on the 3000 GT is up 18%. On the Stealth, it's only up 1.6. The three year change uh, for the GT is 49.6. For the Stealth, it's 16.2. And the five-year change, the 3000 GT is up 136%, while the Stealth is up 55.4. So the Stealth has mirrored the 3000 GT just at a lower clip. All right, the next one is a car I just actually mentioned, the 1983 to 1989 Mitsubishi Staron ESI-R, which was also known as the Chrysler Conquest. These are really attractive cars. I mean, the rear-wheel drive, front engine, uh, Japanese cars, so I just feel like they've been off the radar. Now the average value is only $11,500, so they're fairly cheap. The one-year change is up 42.3%, the three-year change is up 65.1%, and the five-year change is up 65.1%. I would assume, I didn't look into it, but I would assume the Chrysler Conquest numbers reflect the gap the Dodge Stealth had with the 3000 GT, so I would expect it would be trending in the same direction but not at the same clip. All right, the third Mitsubishi I would like to mention for 19 depreciation proof cars is the 2003 to 2005 Mitsubishi Lancer Evolution 8, or if you're more formal, the VIII. <laughs> Just kidding. Let's see, average value $22,100, one year change up 19.9%, three year change up 26.6, and the five year change up 50.2%. All right, we've got a few more here. And like I said before, I've got a couple honorable mentions. You'll probably laugh at me when you hear those, but I just want to put them on everyone's radar early so I can say, remember when? All right, the next one's the 2007 to 2014 Toyota FJ Cruiser. Now again, this one is not in Haggerty's database. It should be any moment. Now the 2014 Toyota FJ Cruiser's manufacturer suggested retail price, the MSRP, started a little over $27,000 for the two-wheel drive model and jumped to about $29,000 with four-wheel drive and a manual transmission. A fully loaded FJ topped out around $36,000. I bring this up because I have an FJ. I have a 2014 FJ. Bought it in 2016. I want to say it had 16,000 miles on it. Paid $36,500, which was above sticker at the time. Today, with... 50,000 more miles and five years added to it, six years added to it, I could get that same amount. No doubt. I could probably get a little bit more because it's immaculate. Uh, there's currently one advertised, a 2014 with 90,000 miles for $34,900. So part of it is due to the COVID impact and the supply chain and the used car prices, but it's also there's a very dedicated following for these FJs. They don't make them anymore, which is the reason why we bought it when we bought it. Because uh, if I told my wife, if you wanted to experience it, now's the time because don't they won't have another one. Uh, so that one is not going down anytime soon. All right, the last official one I'm picking is the 2006 Dodge Magnum RT Station Wagon. Like the Cadillac Station Wagon, there is a rabid fan base for these cars. 
Now, these have not appreciated nearly as much as the Cadillacs, nowhere close, and they've appreciated very slowly recently, which I take as a good sign, actually. I think they're in it for the long haul. Um, latest one year is only up 2.1%, latest three years 2.1%, latest five years 7.2%. You would definitely want to get the SRT model. You have to get the most powerful version that you could possibly get. Now the average value is only 10,300. Now this is for the RT station wagon, not the SRT. That was not in the database. Um, so be sure to keep an eye out for these. If you have one, take it to the local cruise and watch people drool over it. I don't believe it came with a manual which is probably holding these prices back a little bit, uh, but it's a cool ride. I think it's going to go up. All right, now it's time for my honorable mentions, and please do not laugh. Uh, the first one I would pick, now this is stuff, you know, you love what you grew up with, and I think some of the cars that are not on everyone's radar right now from a collectability standpoint are early Lexuses. They were obviously iconic. They are industry changing. I mean, they came out and then Nissan had to have the Infiniti. I mean, you've got Hyundai spinning off Genesis now. So it definitely started a new era, a new trend for these car manufacturers. So I think those will be appreciated quite a bit in the future. Now we might be 10, way, 10 years away from that at this point, but uh, keep those on your radar. I, I haven't heard anyone talk about the early Lexuses. If you can get an SC430 hardtop convertible, with low mileage, I would grab one of those right now. They are beautiful, they're very well made. And the other one I'll mention is also from growing up. So if you think about it, folks that grew up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, they have fond memories of vans and station wagons. And we've seen both of those appreciate quite a bit over the last five years. So what happened in the mid 80s? Well, that started the minivan craze. And I think minivans, now like I said, five or 10 years away, possibly, minivans will be collectible one day because folks have such a strong affection for those from their childhood. So I did see recently, I believe it was a Dodge minivan that was turboed and it was a manual, a four cylinder turbo manual wagon sold recently. I'm like, oh, that would be cool. Uh, so keep your eye out on those, especially the early Honda Odysseys. We know those are everywhere. You probably have one in your garage right now but just keep your eye on those. If you see a low mileage original one, the older the better, grab it up now while you can. So you heard it here first, Lexuses, <laughs> Toyota pickup trucks, and minivans. They need to be on your radar screen, along with everything else I just mentioned. So as always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.